everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to Sandy and Sean. Thanks for joining us on Mile High Sports, milehighsports.com. Go to watch or listen, of course, on the uh, free Mile High Sports app. Crystal clear wherever you are. The Denver Nuggets last night, we ended up talking about the way this series was going to go in the offensive shootout, which the Nuggets probably paid uh, from the advanced metrics perspective as good an offensive game as an NBA team can possibly play, Sandy, to get the win in game one. In game two, the defense reigned supreme, and it was it was involved in the first game. We'll, we'll, we'll disassemble this as the show goes along. But this performance defensively against a Phoenix Suns team that scores points more or less at will, knowing that you weren't getting much from Jamal Murray offensively for the majority of the game, or Michael Porter Jr., This is at, that was as impressive a game as I've seen the Nuggets play. It's almost in, in, in talking about peaking at the right time, Sandy, between game one and game two, vastly different type of games. The Nuggets appeared to be more flexible, more able to play different styles of basketball than the Phoenix Suns, and it didn't even seem to be all that close. Now they hold a 2-0 lead, and Phoenix has to stew over this until Friday when they play down in the desert. Yes, I, I think this second game was of more consequence than typically seven games are in a best-of-seven series with the home team winning the first game. And, yes, holding serve in the second. And The bottom line is that they've done nothing more than hold serve. You know, the old phrase is, Playoff series doesn't start until the road team wins. The Nuggets will have a chance to do that and at the same time take a 3-0 lead on Friday night, but that's several days away. I was impressed at their adaptability. Uh, I thought when it was 59-51, Phoenix, with, uh, I think, just under five minutes left, if I'm not mistaken, in the third quarter, uh, that it would be hard for the Nuggets to get to 100, and in fact, they did not get to 100. Uh, The secret to the game would be that the first team to 90 would win, and the Nuggets were the first team to 90. Uh, Neither team got to 100, but the first team to 90, in fact, did win. And uh, the Nuggets played a a splendid fourth quarter, a a dominant fourth quarter, the the best quarter they've had in this series, uh, all the way around. And uh, they got Murray going a little bit, six points, four assists in the fourth quarter. Porter did not play in the fourth quarter. And uh, I will say this because I've been critical of Michael Malone often enough. Uh, I thought he coached a superb game. 
last night. His deployment of personnel, uh, I thought was pitch perfect. Uh, it, Bruce Brown got 25 minutes, was plus 12. Christian Brown got 16 minutes. He was, in a plus-minus sense, the best basketball player on the floor. Right. And I think while he was in the game, he was, in fact, the best basketball player in the game last night. He was plus 15 in 16 minutes. Uh, it is almost impossible to go plus 15 in 16 minutes of play. Jokic, for example, who played brilliantly, <laughs> plus two. was plus two in 39 minutes. Uh, you know, the Nuggets were actually plus eight without Jokic. The key to this series so far, it, to my way of thinking, is that the Nuggets are not only holding their own in the non-Jokic minutes, they are winning thriving. the non-Jokic minutes. Correct. Because the Suns have, I think, a well below average center by today's standards even in the NBA when uh, the classic big pivot man is not a necessity, certainly. But when you have one, and the Nuggets definitely do, and Jokic, who's one of the greats of all time at the position, they are really taking advantage, even when he's not in the game, the fact that Phoenix doesn't have much in Aiton and has nothing behind him. I mean, nothing behind him. They stop rebounding entirely when he's not in the game. You talk and about so how it's, it's hard to be. all on Booker and yeah. Durant. And because of Brown, uh, Bruce, because of Christian Brown, who continues to bedevil Kevin Durant in this series and really outplay him, as, as has Aaron Gordon, by the way. They have both outplayed Kevin Durant in this series. Uh, Durant hasn't been very good in either game, and he was particularly atrocious, I thought, in sections of the game last night when they really needed him. And uh, Booker, I, I thought, played well, but, uh, you know, Booker was minus 7 and 45 minutes. Durant was minus 4 and 44 minutes. When they, they they played a ton. I know they got three days off, but the difference in the series to me so far has been, uh, one, the Nuggets' general defensive prowess, which was not necessarily in evidence even against Minnesota in the opening round to the extent that it is now, and secondly, the non-Jokic minutes that Denver is winning and the exposure of uh, the Phoenix bench uh, as being nothing more than cannon fodder a little bit <laughs> really for the a nuggets uh and, and they haven't been able to figure that out and uh chris paul who has been their best plus minus player in these playoffs is uh i think probably going to miss some time in this series it, it he went three like days to recover from what they said was uh, uh some stiffness in the groin area. Well, uh, the discomfort was such that he immediately had to leave the game last night, and it's hard to envision him being anywhere near 100% come Friday. Right. So uh, the Nuggets are de are definitely in the driver's seat, but Phoenix will play better at home mm -hmm. because they can't very well play worse uh, than yeah. they have in the first two what games in the row. Yeah, uh, obviously, uh, and the Chris Paul injury is, is significant. We talked about this prior to the series, that, that Chris Paul was not going to beat the Denver Nuggets. He, he's just not that player anymore, but he's certainly a major cog. And, uh, you know, 37 years old, when you have a groin injury. Soon to be 38, by right, the way. In, in a matter of days. It, certainly, it's a spot where things don't bounce back necessarily all that quickly. And so, uh, there's concerns there. But you, you talked about it yesterday. The idea of, you know, you need to be uh, making 
more points than shot attempts. Kevin Durant didn't do that. 24 points on 27 shots. Booker was better, but not by much. Took him 29 shots to get to 35 points. And give this to the Nuggets, who had a grand total of 10 team fouls last night. They are not only defending the Suns in a way that is absolutely getting under the Suns' skin. The Suns shot 19% from three. But they are doing so without fouling. And my biggest concern with Aaron Gordon, and I really want to highlight Aaron Gordon in this, because we saw Aaron Gordon get in trouble in the Minnesota series against Carl Anthony Towns, who is slightly more mobile than the Statue of Liberty. And so I was somewhat concerned. Yes, absolutely. About the, the nature of Kevin Durant and, and Aaron Gordon getting in trouble. But Gordon, Gordon is helping to get Durant in foul trouble. Yes, and you know what the difference is? Kevin Durant, and it has become increasingly so over the course of his career. Kevin Durant does not, I don't know whether it's injuries, whether it's age, whether it's a combination, Kevin Durant does not tend to become physical with physical guys. And even though Aaron Gordon is smaller, you know, he's, he's built like a tank. He's not afraid of mixing it up. He's not afraid of using his strength. And Durant, at this stage of his career, when approached with those kind of defenders, becomes a little passive and relies on, a, you know, a, a quick dribble then shoot or fadeaways that's what he's done and that's what he's done in this series you can get up in Kevin Durant's grill and at this stage in Kevin Durant's career he'll just take he'll a fadeaway he'll, he'll settle, settle he will settle away he he when he when he goes to the basket now he charges a lot and, and by I would the, red, say, the refs are onto that now yeah, as well I, I would say even on the defensive end of the floor that you can play bully ball against him yes including right. against Booker with, with Christian Brown with Bruce Brown uh, Aaron Gordon's been doing it. You can borderline play bully ball against this Phoenix Suns team. Well, against the team, but certainly even against, against Durant, him, against him, and uh, you know, actually, I thought at least for the first half, Aiton held up pretty well against you know, mm-hmm. in the in the first half. But you know, Shaq comes on at halftime. And listen, they have the best studio show going on TNT. But Shaq goes on at halftime. And I guess Aiton had ten points and six rebounds. So Shaq said, "Well, there he is." On, on the way to 20 points and 12 rebounds. And I'm thinking, you must be joking. He, he won't get half as many points in the second half. He won't get five rebounds in the second and half. He, he got two. Two rebounds. So, so he points. finished. He's Danny Shays. He's 14 points, eight rebounds, four assists, a block, but turned it over four times at 33 minutes. Uh, they were minus 10 in the 15 minutes he missed, and they were right at zero when he was in the game. So I'm not saying he played badly, but he is who he is. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't think, and maybe I'm being a little harsh and saying he's below average, but he's if he's average, he's not. He's only average by a smidgen. I, I don't see him as being above average, and they, they've got nothing behind him. And when they go small, it, it, you, you have, let's say, Durant in the game. Durant's 6'11". Durant rebounds a little bit. But they, they are so... Passive, so soft, and, and take so many mid-range and shots. The Nuggets had a terrible offensive game last night. They time. did. They turned it over ten good. times, which is not a lot, but they didn't move the ball as they customarily do. Only nineteen assists out of the thirty-six baskets they made. Uh, they shot forty-seven point four percent, but that mostly came late in the game and in the fourth quarter when their percentage improved seven for twenty-seven. From three-point range for the Nuggets last night, Phoenix couldn't take advantage of that. But here's the key, and you touched on it. The Nuggets shot 21 free throws, made 18. 
The Suns were 100% at the line, but only took five free throws right. the whole game. So, yes, if you add up the shot attempts, Phoenix had 11 more, and I'm figuring the free throws in there too, but the Nuggets were a plus eight effectively on foul shot differential, two foul shots being the equivalent of one shot from the field. They shot 21 free throws to five for Phoenix. Phoenix out-rebounded the Nuggets on the offensive glass 11 to five. The Nuggets at halftime uh, were in reasonably good shape. The game was tight and very low scoring. The Nuggets had zero offensive rebounds in the first half of the game last night, and they're still in the game. And you're wondering how they're doing that. Phoenix took 95 shots on the field to the Nuggets 76, but shot only 40% on those 95 shots. And as you pointed out, less than 19.5% from the three-point line on 6 of 31. The Nuggets were better than that. Right. The Nuggets didn't shoot the three ball well no. at all. Murray was 0 for 10, wasn't he, on threes? Yeah, it was It was a disaster when you're talking about the, the shooting for, for the so Nuggets. So, Porter night. did nothing. Murray did right, next nine, to nothing me, sorry. until the, the fourth quarter. Yeah, 0 for 9. 0 for 9 for Murray, for Murray. on threes? Yes. Okay, my mistake. But 0 for uh, 11 but, with Murray and Porter combined. Well, that, that's right. They're that's two right. best three-pointers. They're the two but most productive three-point shooters. I love Malone's decision, uh, uh, you know, and I haven't always agreed with his deployment of Kevin Port, uh, of uh, Michael Porter Jr. And uh, Michael Porter Jr., I thought, had a beef uh, after the Brooklyn mm-hmm. game in the regular season, fairly late in the regular season when uh, he was not used at all in the fourth quarter. I yeah. thought he was kind of scapegoated. Kind of scapegoated but, yeah. and, and that was the game in which Aaron Gordon uh, sat down with three minutes to go in the third quarter and never got back in the game because Malone forgot about him. Well, Gordon plays 39 minutes last night. Porter plays 23 two fewer than Brown off the bench, and only seven more than Green and Christian Brown. But that o- was the, the right bench, call that last was the night. right call. Last night it was. He was minus 12. He had a bad game. He was minus 12 in 23 minutes, and he couldn't be out there in a game that Malone felt last night, and rightly so, had a defensive personality to it. Why would you want Michael Porter on the floor in a 97-87 game. Out of, you the, out of the eight you guys that You play, want your best defensive player. Yeah, he's the he's the eighth best defender, even behind Jeff Green. I think that's the reality. And I, I agree with with that, and I think that, you know, you're right for calling it out. For Michael. That's why last night's game for me was sort of he a felt revelation. The game. He felt the game. Yeah, and, and Michael Malone felt the game. And paints and by the numbers, hit regardless of the, on the head last personality night. of the game. Did it right. Uh, did it right almost right. literally minute to minute. The absolutely performance I, I for the teams. I agree with virtually every move he made. Right, and I didn't understand with three days off between games why, especially in the first half when they could have broken the game open, uh, Monty Williams of Phoenix insisted on using his bench as much as he did. I mean, I'm saying, I, I and I know he ended up playing uh, Durant 44 minutes and he played Booker 45 minutes, but he was he was resting other guys when people like uh, Biombo and Payne. And Lee, we're not producing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's fair. I get How the, can you play guys who don't produce? I understand that when you're talking about the Chris Paul injury, and Williams said after the game that Chris Paul couldn't couldn't uh, put a push off, and his quote he was did. at all, at all. Uh, right. That's a bad sign. And, and maybe at that point, Williams just sort of thought that they're not. It's not their night. But I felt the same thing. Not only was Malone 
doing the right job. And and we let's be. I fair. thought he outcoached Monty Williams. He did because to, to me, I felt that Monty Williams almost. If I was a Suns fan, I'd be looking at it thinking, Man, "It's like you gave up on the game too early." Right. I, I thought. Why, why did you gave up on the game too early? That's what it felt like to me watching it. I'm like, "What were they doing? They're still in this." Yeah. The Nuggets aren't I, shooting I, the lights out. What's I, going I, I on? Thought, I just thought he. I mean, Lee got 26 minutes last night. I, I listen. I know Paul went out after 25 minutes, and Paul would have played between 30 and 35 minutes uh, had he not been hurt. Uh, Paul was plus eight over the 25 minutes, and they were ahead when Paul went out. I think by three, but they had been ahead by eight. So even when Paul was in the game, their lead was uh, dwindling. Yeah, and. So I, I think the Nuggets would have won the game anyway, but I, I just thought he mismanaged the game and it substituted in a way that was very odd, uh, considering that the next three days are days of rest. Now, it's a chance to regroup, and, and Monty Williams um, and his coaching staff have done reasonably well over the years, and I, I anticipate a much better Phoenix team. Uh, I don't see this as a sweep. Uh, it wouldn't even shock me if games three and four were won by Phoenix. No, me either. But the Nuggets have established in two home games that they can win in very different ways. And if there's one thing that Phoenix has not shown, I broke this down yesterday, it's that they don't. They win one way. And with a limited bench that was stripped down to, to the bolts to get Kevin Durant, that may be what they're stuck with. And so, uh, you know, they have the old John Elway going here, you know, Plan B. There is no plan B. We're going well, plan A. That, that is plan A. That's, plan, what, the, that's what the Suns a are on. Is the Durant and Booker average about out. 70 points a game. Yep. And that's preferably it. don't take many more than 70 shots on the field to do it. So they not only need volume scoring, but they need efficiency. Mm-hmm. And now with Paul, I'm guessing from the way they're talking, he's if not he can't push off last night, he's not going to be in condition to play by Friday night, they're going to be asking Booker to run the team. Booker's having enough trouble, and surprisingly so, and Malone was right about this, and at least so far I've been wrong in this series, I didn't think Malone could spend much time playing KCP on Booker. In fact, KCP outplayed Booker in the fourth quarter of the ball game last night, and was one of the uh, unsung heroes, I thought, with uh, 14 points, five rebounds, two assists, a steal, and just one turnover in 41 minutes. That's one of the things that you know we do want to talk about. Of course, want your opinion on this big win by the Nuggets. 303-831-1340 is the call and text line. But uh, KCP, that's part of it. Championship pedigree on a team that doesn't have a lot. How much does that matter, and are we seeing the impact of that? We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Give a ton of credit to one Contavious Caldwell Pope, who had a 
a game where you look at maybe at the stats and you're thinking, well, what's what's the big deal? Was it really that good? Yeah, and it, Booker scored 35. How right. could he have played that and, well? And, and sometimes it's about limiting to the guy, and sometimes it's about time limit. So I'll give you Caldwell Pope's stat line anyway. 41 minutes last night, five for six shooting, including four for four yep. from three. Yep. Five boards, two assists. Dagger threes, too. One turnover, only two fouls, and 14 points, a plus yep. one. Yep. But one of the knocks against the Phoenix Suns, even though they came closer than the Denver Nuggets and got to the finals, was they had a whole bunch of people who had, on their team who had never won it before. No, no, nobody with the title. One of the reasons that the Suns even stated that they went after Kevin Durant, not only ability, but guy's got a ring. Uh, now, two. Pardon me, yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> two rings, to be specific. Yeah. But uh, he's won a title. The Nuggets didn't make much of it when they made the trade, but it was mentioned that Contavious Caldwell Pope has one of his own. Right. With the Lakers. With the Lakers. 2020? And, Bubble? Uh, and, uh, yep, well, on the way, I was they went over the Nuggets to do it. They and... Did. Last night, you saw from Pope, I think when you're talking about veteran players who have won a title and understand what their role is in any particular moment of a game, that's where I think Caldwell Pope really shone last night. You saw a guy that understand, oh, in this moment, they need me to hit this. In this moment, I'm going to be here. In this moment, maybe we need to slow it down a little bit or really focus on a stop. In this moment, we need to push the pace. It's not as if he controlled the game. It's not as if he dominated the game. It's not as if he was even uh, one of the guys when you're looking and saying one of the, the major cogs. But when you're talking about adding players like that, veteran guys to, to mix in and be the fifth scorer on the team, you need to have guys that understand when their moments arrive. And some of it isn't just executing in the moments. Some of it is actually recognizing them when they're coming. And that's what I thought Caldwell Pope did brilliantly last night of taking advantage of understanding I'm about to be needed for this. And then being there, and on top of that, executing, that's something the Nuggets have not had. And it's one of the reasons when Calvin Booth made this trade, that he wanted to get those kind of players. Caldwell Pope, very quietly, if you go over, you know, look at the team ratings, has been actually a really important part of this team, even though the numbers aren't big, because he's the guy, when you do have Jokic as a basketball unicorn, Murray is sort of a, a firebrand shooter who's still developing as a playmaker. Porter Jr., who's a talented scorer who's a work in progress. Gordon, who's an undersized four that you need to deploy all over the court at times. Caldwell Pope needs to be the guy that, on possession to possession, needs to know what he's supposed to do without anybody really telling him. Four-letter word, glue guy. Glue guy keeps things organized no matter uh, whether he's playing with primarily it just doesn't, guys. doesn't get rattled. Starters. He's unflappable. Uh, utterly unflappable. Now, were there dry spots, rough patches, as it were, in his regular season performance? Yes. The way there are with players not named Nikola Jokic, basically. Yeah, uh, right. uh, you know, there are they're rough patches. Uh, you know, the MVP candidates uh, year in and year out don't have a lot of them. Maybe in some years they don't have any of them. But he is able to give you a little bit of so much. And he rose to the occasion, I thought, last night defensively. And you have to do more than look at the box score to see that. He's one of those guys you have to watch to appreciate. And you probably have to watch him over a fairly lengthy stretch of time to get familiarized with the full breadth of his talents. And certainly he's not a superstar or a star at all. 
but he's one of those guys who's very useful because he's good playing with everybody. And he doesn't demand minutes, but last night, I think one of the examples of Malone coaching well did in fact lie in the fact that he saw fit to play Caldwell Pope 41 minutes. The trust factor obviously is there, and it's there for a reason. It's been earned, and I think there is value to that. And and this is why, again, you start looking at the Nuggets as having, I think, the best chance they have ever had in their franchise history to win an NBA title. And and this is this this is why the team to do it. I'm not sure how you're going to find a better team than this one. You'll probably never find a better player than Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic, for the next absolute prime. 50 years, will probably still be the best player to ever play for the Denver Nuggets. That's just the way that works. And they have surrounded him with the talent that is varied. I, I think these first two games of the series, given the fact the Nuggets have won in the manner in which they've won, against a team that, by the way, has been the favorite in the Western Conference to make it to the finals... For a while, yeah. Prior to the playoffs even beginning, and despite Denver's position, although I will point this out, at Caesars, even after the loss last night in Game One to Philadelphia, Boston is still plus two hundred. Nobody else is better than plus five fifty, including the Phoenix Suns. So I I think, at least as far as the public is concerned, you're getting a, a feeling. That, and I'm not saying Phoenix is Brooklyn because they don't have all that toxicity. Right. But we saw in Brooklyn, even when Durant and Irving played together, when they didn't have anybody else really offering much, it, they could only go so far. And I, I think people are beginning to sense that there are limitations with Phoenix uh, are they insurmountable? Uh, not necessarily, but you still got to win four times out of seven. Right. And I'm not sure against this Denver team. Now you've got to win four out of five. Uh, four out of five is in the offing. And I know that three of the next four, if there are four more games, will be played in Phoenix. I get that. And it's entirely conceivable that we have what, appeared to be uh, something like an all-encompassing home court advantage that for five games, anyway, uh, existed with Golden State and Sacramento. Well, I should say four games because the road team won the last three games. (laughs) Right. That series, games five, six, and seven, even at that series, were all won by the road team. Now, the NBA is not the NHL in terms of – Home court advantage is still valuable, much more so than home ice in the National Hockey League. But I, I think we'll see in this series uh, home court prove to be maybe for the Phoenix bench players most beneficial. I I like the way the Nuggets are playing eight guys now. And they're really playing eight guys. I mean, they're they're playing them, they're using them, and yes, they're trusting them. Uh, I do get a little weary of uh, Spiro Didi saying this has been the Nugget team all year when it really hasn't been. We've, we've seen a lot of configurations, especially c- coming off the bench and for Didi's to insinuate that 
that this has been the rotation. The same eight guys all year long, yes. and they're all getting 15 minutes no, on up per game. It's, it's just not true. And it's the product of lazy preparation, which unfortunately is something that bedevils most of the national uh, TV guys. There are a few exceptions to that. Kevin Harlan does his homework, uh, for example. Um, uh, the best the, the, the best guys do. Uh, but some of these guys, and I have nothing against Spiro Didis. I actually kind of like him. Uh, but uh, Greg Anthony and Grant Hill have been doing the commentary in the first mm-hmm. two games. Grant Hill on game one and Greg Anthony last night. Uh, between them, they haven't seen the Nuggets five times this year in person. So, I, I, I mean, I, I take that into account uh, when evaluating what uh, what they say or, or what they don't say. And uh, the Nuggets seem to many of the national people to be kind of a a new cool thing. Right. And they're really not new. Uh, it, it, and I, I think what we've seen, in, in fact, rather than viewing Malone as this guy who's been here for however many years, seven, eight years, however many it's been. And it's been constantly good. Uh, no change. He's been a great coach from the day one. Doesn't account for uh, his growth in some areas. Uh, he still often does frustrate not just me, but a lot of Nugget fans. But I Sometimes think now players. he's settled in. I think he's settled into the eight guys who are going to play and they all can play with one another. You don't have to look at any of the bench people and say, I've got to be careful with any of them and make sure that I've got certain guys on the floor when they're out there. Actually, and I'm not saying change the starting lineup, Mm -hmm. but to me, their most effective five-man team is Gordon, Bruce Brown, Jokic, Murray, Caldwell Pope. If you need offense off the bench, you go to Porter. And if you need defense off the bench, you go to Christian Brown. And you rotate Jeff Green, who I understand has playoff experience, with a Perry Watson if if you want to give a few fouls. Peyton Watson, right? Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, Peyton Watson. Yeah. And, and then you have... Uh, Najee, whose health I'm not completely sure of at this point, but I, I think that's an alternative if you have foul trouble. Since the Nuggets really haven't had foul trouble, talk about right. fouls in the whole game, so there was no no foul trouble. There was no reason for him to deviate from the way he used players last night, and I thought he was very good in uh, playing at least one of the guys off the bench more than he played. A, one of the starters of Bruce Brown playing more than Porter did, for example. And I thought their best unit last night by far was the, the four starters with Bruce Brown. That, that was the most effect, effective team. And I'd continue to give those five guys, uh, KCP, Murray, Jokic, Gordon, and yes, Bruce Brown, heavy minutes. And uh, Christian Brown, 15, 20 minutes a game off the bench. Jeff Green for now. Perfectly fine, 15, 20 minutes a game off the bench. I get I get your point, and I, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I'm obviously a big Bruce Brown fan, but I think that what you're describing for this series, and really as far as they go, is when Bruce Brown is in, you can get offense and defense. When Christian Brown is in, at the moment, 
the offensive game is a work in progress, defensive player. When Michael Porter Jr. is in, you can score him. And I, I think you're right. And I think there is a way to massage it. And this is where I, I, I think you rightly credited Michael Malone. In critical parts of the game, the five men that you discussed are the ones that are in. Michael Porter Jr. Starts, Certainly in the fourth quarter. Michael Porter well, they won the yeah. game. I mean, it's a tie game. But it's it is a, it is quarter. essentially. Well, they, they were down three. Quarters. Right. But it's essentially, I would make the argument that you are, that that is the Nuggets' top five. It's their best unit. And they're utilizing, Malone has been utilizing Porter and Christian Brown, not only appropriately, and then mixing in Jeff Green, who, again, with, with some size, some experience, uh, still surprisingly springy, uh, has the ability to pop in here and there, and I understand there are limitations with Jeff Green, but I think also, to give Malone credit, we've seen Christian Brown's important minutes, and and not only to a certain extent, but raw minutes, now exceed Jeff Green. First guy up, the first in priority off the bench, it's Bruce Brown, then Christian Brown, then Jeff Green. Yeah. Now, the minutes and don't I think always correct. reflect that. And but even last but night, but it's Green where played they, just as much. It's where they play I, I understand. Too. I understand, and I, listen, I... I I think Brown can give them a lot. He doesn't take away from the the last thing they need is scoring. It seems to me, it would with, with any one of the five man combinations they have, they have, they, they have enough scoring. of scoring. Right. What they need is defense, mm-hmm. and they need swarming defense against a team like Phoenix because they're only two guys you have to swarm. You want the rest of them shooting. And the other advantage, of course, of having Christian Brown come shooting. off is. And he, and Christian Brown can play either Durant or Booker. And who cares if he gets a foul here or there? Doesn't matter. Well, it, first thing he I watched him go out there and be throughout aggressive. his career at Kansas. He wasn't a big foul. No, he's guy. not. But you don't. But you don't sweat it if he does because you're not counting on him at the moment to provide more than what he's providing. And in the 16 minutes or so he's playing, he's not going to foul out. So you well, you can. But, but he's also not going to foul three-point shooters. No. And I'm watching Boston Celtics stars but I mean, here and there, last night foul three-point shooters. At a certain point, you're going to see Kevin Durant and, and Devin Booker get foul shots. You're just going to. Uh, we've both covered the NBA long enough. Now, it's not David Stern's well, league anymore. Th- th- let's but, but let's see what happens in Phoenix. At I home agree. in Phoenix, I expect it's going to happen. But you don't have to sweat it. If Christian Brown gets a foul here and there, okay, whatever. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't be any less aggressive. That's going to happen. You don't sweat it. And... Even to the extent, if he's playing swarming, harassing defense, and getting under their skin, and Christian Brown does foul out in six minutes, okay, don't go away from the aggressiveness. That's the key. That's what's been paying off. I just don't want to see dumb fouls. Right. And fouls the, don't scare one, me. One of the strengths of the dumb Nuggets, fouls scare me. One of the strengths of the Nuggets is that they don't they don't take dumb fouls. Generally, as and a team, they listen don't. as recently as maybe two years ago. Three years ago, they were fouling three-point shooters all the time. They don't do that anymore. I don't know that I've seen Christian Brown all year foul a three-point shooter, whether he makes or misses. I haven't seen it. Not one. Not one time. Over 82 games, and what have they played? Seven playoff games? Mm -hmm. It's it's almost 90 games. I've I've never seen one time. I've never seen a foul three-point shooter. So I... For, for a bench guy to be able to make that claim and play as aggressively as he does on that end of the floor, I I think is is remarkable. It shows how well coached he was in college. Uh, shows what kind of player 
he is. He he understands that he can afford to be aggressive. And you're right. There's no such thing as foul trouble for a guy who's playing 15 to 20 minutes no. a game. There isn't. There isn't. You just don't sweat it. And you're right. Obviously, Christian Brown's defense is is immediately effective. But you're exactly right when you point out that the Nuggets as a whole, almost to a man, this is a team that doesn't make take dumb fouls. And you watch the playoffs and you've watched teams at a difficult time holding leagues that not every other team has been able to do that. So give them credit. That is credit to the players. And it is a credit to Michael Malone, who I think maybe coached one of the handful of the very best games he's ever coached as a Nuggets coach last night. Well, especially in relation maybe to the guy the situation. on the bench. Uh, we haven't, know, we haven't I, said I, I Michael thought, Malone's. I thought there was a difference. Yeah, Michael Malone is yeah. not proverbially coached circles around his his uh, no opposing no and colleague very it, often. It, it, but he did it, last it, night. It's to his benefit to have the best player in the world. Um, it's not to his credit that he has the best player in the world, but it, it is definitely to his benefit. But last night, you know, it was one of those nights that made me nervous for a for I would say the first 30 to 32 minutes of the game. And I, I would even look at the last 12 minutes, 34 seconds. That's the fourth quarter and the last 34 seconds of the third. The spread was 32-19 in favor of Denver. A plus 13 over the last 12 minutes, 34 seconds of, of the game. And I thought, he had the right people in the game at the right time. He got Jokic in there, even though they were doing well enough without him, knowing he had the three days. And I thought he coached according to the way this series has been scheduled. And I didn't think Monty Williams coached any differently than he would have had game four been tomorrow night. <laughs> Was I, I, it just It seems strange to me. And I don't study Phoenix and its rotations as much as I do Denver's. But um, I, I thought the Nuggets won with defense, but the defensive-minded coach looked like he had a complete sense of comfort with every move he made last night. The Nuggets get it done in spectacular defensive fashion. That's how you win in the playoffs at times. Even in this day and age, they are up 2-0. They play again on Friday. Uh, been a couple couple hours since the fallout from the Colorado Avalanches ended their season. Some questions loom about what is next, specifically the health of Gabe Landeskog. The presumption that he should be ready for next year, not so fast. I'll explain next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. I'm blind, thinking I can see through this and see what's behind. Got no way to prove it, so maybe I'm lying. Want to talk a little bit about the Colorado Avalanche. Their season comes to an end in Game Seven against the Seattle Kraken in a game that, at least in the early going, they thought they had it. And obviously, for the Avalanche, just feels like it ran out of gas, ran out of bodies, ran out of time. And maybe that's not even over yet, but we'll hop to the phones real quickly and talk to uh, Dave about that. Dave, how's it going? Gentlemen, uh, as I kind of stated yesterday, Jacob Truba yesterday came with a, a headshot, knocked out, knocked out Timo Meyer. 
I mean, that's a five-minute major in any level of hockey, USA, USHL, college, and not even a penalty called. It's it's disgraceful. All right. Well, thanks, uh, thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Yeah, obviously, uh, Dave, Dave called yesterday and talked a bit about uh, his concern about uh, blows to the head in, in the playoffs, and it's something the NHL has to uh, be concerned about for the Avalanche. And be more serious. And, and be more serious about the way that they are uh, the way of adjudicating it. And I, I think some of that also, it comes from the league and some of it has to come from uh, players as well. We need to find a way to, you know, maybe get a, a little more respect for their fellow human being uh, for the most part. But yeah, I, I think that's, that's something the NHL has to look into in the offseason. For the Avalanche, obviously uh, less of a concern at the moment because they have to figure out how to reassemble a team that can keep that championship window open. And I think as long as you have Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr and Miko Rantanen, and uh, Alexander Georgiev, Devon Taves, I, uh, yeah, Devon Taves, and hopefully Gabe Landeskog. I think you have a championship window that's open, but the the questions for Landeskog, Bo Byram, uh, Byram, part of that as well. I think you're right, and I and uh, I should probably put, include uh, Arturi Lekkonen in that as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But and and, and I would hope, although he's a free agent, that they bring Rodriguez. I I think Evan Rodriguez wants to come back. I I think he proved to be a pretty valuable, we talk about glue guy, pretty valuable fit, uh, especially since it is likely they will lose JT Comfer, who presumably will get an option to play a a larger role on another team for more money. So building this is tricky, but uh, earlier today, Jared Bednar appeared over on uh, Altitude Radio, of course, the S Broadcast Network, and was talking about Gabe Landeskog, and here's his quote via Kyle Fredrickson, who we've had on before and had on uh, yesterday from the Denver Gazette. Quote, he's in a good place. He's making decisions on what he has to do in order to get back healthy this year. It was tough for him. Getting some clarity on his situation now for him and our organization is a positive thing. He feels good about it. We feel good about it. We'll kind of release what he does next when he makes his final decisions here. Now, what that tells me if I'm reading between he's the lines, getting surgery. there's more surgery involved. And that's almost certainly the case. Now, the question about what the decisions are is not, are you going to have surgery? It's how long is that surgery expected to keep you out? And there is a very, there should be at this point, and you don't want to panic about it, you want to learn, but there is a very real concern. And you were Bednar even pointed out for, for him and for our organization. Has the Colorado Avalanche seen the best of Gabriel Landeskog? How long will he be out? Are, they, are you talking about a guy that's going to be on the long-term injured reserve all next year again? Possibly. There's precedent for that. There's precedent of it even on the Colorado Avalanche. Well, we saw basically a couple of years during Peter, Peter Forsberg's career, one was more voluntary than, than the other, where he, where he missed basically two entire regular seasons in the prime of his career. Uh, and and once the Injuries began to develop, particularly to the feet. And he just, for an extended period of time, was not going to be able to produce. And he made uh, multiple attempts here with the Avalanche to come back. Uh, I mean, I think 10, 11 years ago, Mm -hmm. he wanted to come back, and he tried it for one game. And as was usually the case with Peter, he actually played pretty well in that one game, but made the decision he just couldn't go. After that one game, he couldn't play up to his standards. He couldn't be Peter Forsberg. Uh, we saw him at the tail end of the 07-08 season uh, come back and play, I thought, extremely well. The Avalanche would not have made the playoffs without Peter Forsberg in 2008. They won their first-round series. They're going into their second-round series with Detroit. 
And people like Brian Engblom, who did commentary here Mm -hmm. for the Avalanche and was a national commentator as well, uh, thought so much of the Avalanche in the first round and saw that Forsberg and Sackett could still play Mm -hmm. and Forsberg was back and picked the Avalanche to beat the team that eventually won the Stanley Cup. Then on the day of the first game, the morning skate, Forsberg injures himself and never really plays again after that. And Detroit wins the series in four straight games. I don't believe the Avalanche would have beaten Detroit anyway, but there were those who I have great respect for who thought it was possible, but, you know, at that stage of his career, Peter just wasn't able to stay healthy. Now, it isn't so much an accumulation of injuries with Landeskog. He's generally been pretty healthy. But let's remind ourselves that this goes back to September of 2020. 2020, yes. If I'm not mistaken, you are in correct. the bubble. In the bubble, you are when 100% these correct. knee problems began. Yes. So this is approaching now three years. Yes. That's yes. a long time to have been playing with discomfort and obviously missing an entire season this year due to an injury that only seems to have gotten progressively worse and harder to fix. And now we'll be talking about what is likely a fourth surgery in effort to fix it. And again, I I brought this up a couple months ago that I I, I had thought prior to this playoffs and prior to even us knowing that Landis Gog would be out, that Landis Gog's effort in last year's playoffs was the single most uh, self-sacrificing heroic move in Colorado sports history to win a title, and I and mean that wasn't was all appreciated. Yeah, it wasn't appreciated. Degree as such. that it should, and be. I think maybe people are starting to appreciate it. Uh, the reality is, whenever Gabe Landeskog is able to come back and play, he's probably we've probably seen the best of him. Realistically, now I hope I'm wrong, but realistically, that's the case. Now he made a a calculated risk and knew what those. Potential ramifications were he made it. He played brilliantly. The Avs do not win the cup without him, not even close. And they win the win the championship. And that will be his name was going to be forever on that cup. Sure. Now, at what cost? I would be willing to admit if you talk to Gabriel about it in his heart of hearts, he'd probably say, I'd do it again. It was worth it. Well, sure. Because you play he, to get this. He felt as the captain of the team he needed to do that. And there are only a select few who have been captains on Stanley Cup championship teams. He's one of the few. So, one of these days when Landis Gog's 92 is hanging from the rafters, and it will, you may, we may look back and say, you know, that, that he ended up giving maybe gave a up huge his chunk or maybe gave up his career for, the, for that cup, and you hope that's not the case. But for the Avalanche, they have some difficult decisions. This year, let's be completely honest about it, the Avalanche, had they had more depth, we'd be talking about their second-round series with the Dallas Stars right Opening now. tonight. The reason we don't is because the Avs didn't have the cap space, in part because they wanted to make sure that they kept the cap space available in case Gabe Landeskog could come back. Now, had they decided earlier in the season that Landeskog was not going to be able to come back, they could have spent $7 million more getting depth. They'd probably be playing right now. Now, I'm not criticizing this decision. I'm explaining how it functions and what it means they have to do forward. Now you have to look at this and think, what are we really looking at with Gabe Landeskog? 
what are we really looking at? Are we looking at a Forsberg situation where he's going to need to set out next season? If so, then you need to put him on LTIR and spend the $7 million that he makes because in the NHL you can do that. He, he rolls off the cap. Now, he can't play it all in the regular season, but he rolls off the cap. Now, you can spend it. Do the Avalanche need to do that? How quickly can they find this out? These are questions that are really going to loom over this franchise because if they don't have Gabe Landis to start the season, and it really doesn't sound like they will, they're going to have to look and decide realistically when they're going to have him and spend accordingly. And that's going to be a very difficult spot for them to be in. And they're in an enviable spot because they have as much top-tier talent as anyone in the league, and they have one of the very best coaches in the league. But this is a challenge that they're going to have to find a way to overcome. They are going to lose depth in the offseason. Significant depth. They're going to lose their number two center. JT Comfrey is going to get a contract that he's not going to be able to refuse. They're going to lose their number two center, barring something strange. The Evelyn, Put it this way. The Avalanche better prepare as if they're going to lose him. Oh, I think they have. I, I, I think that's it. And so now where do you go? And Landeskog's health is going to be front and center in that discussion. What you're saying is they'll need the two extra months that they now have, as opposed to last year. They need that extra time to get to a make feel. some of these determinations mm-hmm. and get a real sense of how much or how little Gabe Landeskog can do in 2023-24. That's the reality, and that's one of the challenges that they face. Look, if, if you're the Avalanche, you're still in a good place. Don't get me wrong. Lots of teams would love to be right where the Avalanche are right now. But the road back next year is bumpier than the road back would have been this year. That's also the reality of the situation for the Colorado Avalanche. The Denver Nuggets, uh, it is all systems go for them right now. And in the wake of one of the most impressive back-to-back wins in Nuggets playoff history, have to take a look at what's gone right and how they can use it when they go to Phoenix Later this week, Miley Sports' Ryan Blackburn will join us in just a couple of moments to break it all down next. Next.